Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a she and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today we are entering the final stretch of season four. We got three episodes left. We're talking about season four, episode 10, Fractures. Yes, indeed. And this one is super normal. Uh, pretty, pretty chill. Uh, totally good. No one has any breakdowns in this one. Scorpia eats some lettuce. Um, uh, Dora, Swiftwind, and Bo have a fun time in a spaceship. And Catra uh, um, um, has a time. Uh, she's she does. Um, <laughs> well, we'll get back to that. Uh, it's really normal, though. We'll get we'll get back to that one. It's very it's fine. So, <laughs> yeah, of course, fractures is not normal at all. Fractures is as as the uh, name would imply, where uh, it is the episode where everything starts to go wrong. Yes, everything's sort of breaking apart um, in about as many ways as you can imagine. Um, and of course, the way this starts is naturally with one of the uh, one of the sort of instigators of it all, our good friend Double Trouble. Yeah, so we we cold open. Glimmer and Shadow Weaver are trying to uh, cast the truth spell on Double Trouble, who is just sort of lounging on that extremely comfortable looking couch uh, i see bright moon has not has not sort of beefed up any of its prison facilities uh since shadow weaver was there uh at least they don't have like a book but frankly they don't need one because they're having uh they have they're getting plenty of entertainment out of roasting glimmer here Yes. So as it turns out, Glimmer is having a little bit of trouble with some of her sort of spell crafting here. Uh, she's trying to learn how to do the true spell properly, and it's just not working out. And uh, and Double Trouble is, is really eating it up. They're like fake playing along and then just like and just roasting her into the ground. She's uh, and then and then they're like turning into like Adora and they increase <laughs> increase the size of her little hair poof into like a full like pompadour. It's it's pretty funny. She looks like space dandy. Yeah, a little bit. Like it's a huge pompadour. Massive. Yeah, they're they're just having a grand old time. Um, and this gets interrupted by a bright moon guard. Uh, informing Glimmer that Adora, Bo, and Swiftwind have returned with some news. And before the intro, we do get like a like a little shot of Shadow Weaver narrowing her eyes at Double Trouble. I, I do think it's very funny that Shadow Weaver... I, I can't really tell the emotion behind it, but I like to think it's Shadow Weaver going like, Damn, you're pretty good, but I'm better. <laughs> uh yeah just some just some professional uh professional animosity between liars here so we we go to the war room where adora has rigged up a simulation of what would happen if the heart of a theory went off and what would happen if the heart of a theory went off uh is bad yeah it seems like the planet explodes into polygons uh and they just sort of play that over and over and over again for a while so yeah, and Adora's like, all right. So this is the deal: we cannot use the heart of we, the heart of Etheria is super unstable. Like if it goes off, the entire planet goes with it. We absolutely have to shut this this horrible super weapon down. And Shadow Weaver says, "Huh? That sounds like a terrible idea. No, 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 no. We have to use this." Yeah. So 
Shadow Weaver just sort of immediately tries to take control of the situation and is like, oh yeah, no, this the first ones may have been fools for stuffing all this energy into the planet to begin with, but I mean, as long as it's there, like this the princesses are powerful, but if they had this, they would be unstoppable and of course glimmer's eyes just really light up at the mention of being unstoppable she's like we could wipe the horde out easily if we if we could do that and like yeah yeah their plan is well we do no, we don't set it off we just tap into it a little bit we just juice ourselves up just a tad you know we just we just let the the magic leak out a little bit and and Nadora says, okay, well, that seems extremely dangerous. Yeah, that seems stupid as hell, uh, is more or less what she says. And uh, and everyone is kind of torn here. Like, you've got uh, Mermista, who wants to use it, because she is, she, she, she is still, you know, wanting revenge for Selenius. Perfuma seems undecided. She's too nervous to, to say one or, the, one or the other, so she's leaving it up to the old uh, flower petal trick. And Frosta seems reluctant uh, to to use it. The uh, the multiple you know repeated explosions of the planet seem to have uh, kind of put her off of the idea. Yeah, yeah, understandably. And, and then Swiftwind shows up, and, and he starts participating in the conversation. And Bo's kind of trying to uh, trying to intercede a little bit between Adora and Glimmer, who are just just throwing daggers at each other at this point. Um, and then Swiftwind mentions the the new person gets a chair. Why why doesn't he have a chair yet? He still doesn't have a chair. And everyone's like, shut the hell up, Swiftwind. What are you talking about? Uh, but then they turn and they realize that there is someone sitting else sitting at the table. Uh, Scorpia is here, uh, sitting on Emily. Yeah. So so we're gonna we're gonna cover uh, Scorpia's little arc in the in this episode real quick. Um. So Scorpia's here. Hi, everyone. It's our friend Scorpia. She just sort of snuck into the castle on Emily, and she was just kind of waiting for everybody to notice her. She you know, she didn't want to be a bother. Remarkably stealthy for, like, a six-foot-tall scorpion woman and a janky robot. Yes, well, to be fair, everyone was kind of screaming at each other, and there was, like, loud explosions from a simulation going off, so it's it's understandable. That's true. Um, but, you know, she is here to to ask them something. However, before she can get to that... Uh, everyone does try to get her. Uh, they all leap into action. And of course, you know, a few of them have some, some personal beefs with the Horde. Uh, Mermista goes like for Selenius, and, and Frosta says you ruined Princess Prom, which is true. That is true. She did kind of blow up half of Princess Prom, uh, which, you know, maybe not ideal uh, for that that whole situation. But yeah, no, nobody's a particularly big fan of the whole listening to what she has to say thing. And, and, you know, her and Emily just get kind of chased out of the building as everyone's trying to uh, beat the snot out of them, really. Uh, someone does try to uh, take her side. Uh, Perfuma says, you know, I think we might want to listen to her, but Scorpia reflexively stings her. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Perfuma did, like, sneak up behind her and just sort of pop up. Yeah. Know, probably a bad idea to, to scare the big scorpion lady who has a tail right next to you that could sting you and knock you out for several hours perfuma didn't know that she didn't have that intel i don't think she and scorpio have ever like met before this which is interesting yeah i think they have maybe briefly i don't think they've ever really interacted i think maybe it was like 
uh, minor meeting, probably, in No Princess Left Behind. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Regardless, uh, Adora is about to just, you know, bring down that huge overhead swing uh, when Scorpius says, I'm here because I need your help to save Entrapta, which gives everyone pause. Because as far as they were aware, Entrapta was still working with the Horde. Yeah, like, probably should have let in with that one, Scorpio. I feel like people would have been a little more receptive. Actually, the thing that's, the thing that's kind of funny is, like, how unreceptive they all are to the concept of a Horde defector, considering, like, their history with that sort of thing, like... Well, you know, Scorpia doesn't have a sword that turns her into, like, a big legendary warrior goddess. As far as they know, we... We haven't, we haven't seen, we haven't seen, uh, Scorpia Ra yet, but... You know, hey, listen, we, we don't know. There's supposedly that movie coming out. Oh, man. If they if they announce that movie on the anniversary of season five's release, I'll put my head through a wall. Me too. I'll lose it. So uh, she says, I'm, I'm here to save Entrapta. I like, you know, I, I, I let her down. I'm here because you guys know about friendship and, and clearly I don't. Because Catra was being a terrible friend to me, and I was a terrible friend to Entrapta because I let her get dragged off to Beast Island. And at this point, Adora says, oh no, Beast Island is real? Yeah, and, and Shadow Weaver's like, oh yes, not only is it real, but all the horrible stories we told you as children, those were actually the like lies to make you feel better about it. Yeah, Beast Island is <laughs> way worse. just like, oh god, it's worse? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she also has this reaction where she she notices Shadow Weaver is here and says, "Oh, Shadow Weaver's here at Bright Moon, huh? That makes a lot of sense uh, about why Katra was acting the way she was." Oh man, I just and she she seems to just realize, "Oh, geez, Katra is is probably uh, not doing well now that I also left." Yeah, yeah, she sort of has this realization, like, "Oh God, oh God, that girl already wasn't doing good now." Oh no. <laughs> um, but well it's fine. She's fine. We'll get to that later. So they, they tie her up. Uh, she apologizes to Perfuma for accidentally staying here and Perfuma seems to not have any hard feelings about it. And immediately upon a hearing about Entrapta's predicament, Bo, Adora, and Swiftwind start basically organizing a mission to Beast Island right there. And Glimmer like stops them and says, what are, what, what are you doing? We need to go uh, talk about this amongst ourselves. And they teleport away, and they also teleport to later in the podcast where we will talk about that scene. Yes, and that, that, scene, that scene goes places. Uh, but for now, as far as, uh, as far as this is concerned, Scorpia is a prisoner of bright moon and you know what that means nice room great moon great room uh full room service um so perfuma and frosta are basically her guards which is a pretty you know they're they're that's a pretty nice arrangement they're very kind to her perfuma brings her some snacks which is a terrible just a dreadful looking salad yeah it's like a salad with like it's got like spring greens and kale and then like half sliced tomatoes and that's it there's no dressing no, nothing no croutons no any, any of the things you would put in a salad to you know make it good not in there yeah it's actually really funny because perfuma's like oh this is uh, this is vegetables I mean, do you not have vegetables in the horde and Scorpio just kind of looks at her and she's like Oh, yeah, you should definitely be eating these. 
Uh, ho- hopefully those ration bars provide all of their nutritional needs or else Scorpia has like all of the vitamin deficiencies at once. She's got scurvy. She's got scurvy. She's anemic. She's got pica. It's all like, it's just got everything. God. So, so she tries a leaf of kale or something. Doesn't like it very much. No, kale by itself just ain't very good. Yeah, it's just like a crunchy, starchy lettuce. You know what the salad reminds me of? It reminds me of um, the episode of Spongebob where Pearl takes over the Krusty Krab, the salads. I was about to say, yeah, it's basically a salad. Um, But uh, at that point, Frosta is kind of staring at her. Uh, and Squirrel's like, what? What is it? And um, Frost is like, your claws are so cool. Can you, like, pinch stuff? Can you s- slice through stuff? Tell me all about your cool claws. Yeah, like, also the line read on those what's is really good. It's, like, four what's in a row, and it's just like, what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> why, is, why is this child staring at me? Yeah. What? What is it? And so so Frosta, like, makes some ice, some ice pincers, and she's like, She's having a good time, and she's like, "Oh, this is so cool! I love, I love these big, these big old claws." And then Scorpio just kind of starts crying, and Frost assumes, "Like, oh no, oh no! I know the claws must be your thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I crush on your territory. I don't want to steal your gimmick." Um, and Scorpio's like, "No, no, no! It's not that. It's just that no one's ever been this nice to me. Everyone at the horde said I wouldn't fit in with the other princesses. That you guys would hate me. But like, I'm feeling the opposite of not belonging." Which I guess is belonging. <laughs> yeah, she has like a, oh god, I've never experienced kindness before in my life. I'm gonna cry. And then she does. Oh, and then Frosta is like, well, um, don't don't get used to it. I'm your tough guard. Um, but, you know, I can, I can hang around and, like, chat if you want. Like, you know, we can talk and hang out. You know, that, it's it's cool. Yeah. So so Scorpia's feeling like feeling pretty okay right now. Actually, she like I'm not 100 percent sure what she expected when she showed up, really. But like, yeah, she's definitely having a better time than I think that she thought she would have had. Yeah. Even though she's like tied up with some vines, she can probably get out of that anytime she wants because they left her claws free. And she's just she's got pillows. She's hanging out with these cool new friends she made. She's eating vegetables. She's honestly doing pretty well. Um, you know who's not doing very well? Well, that'd be the best friend squad. Yeah, they're not doing great. So, so remember when we said that they teleported later into the podcast? Well, this is where they're teleporting. Uh, they end up in Glimmer's bedroom and Glimmer puts her foot down. She's like, listen, you cannot start just making plans and going off and doing your own thing. You know, I'm the queen. We have to make these decisions together, which is, um, I mean, it's a little ironic coming from Glimmer, I think. And they're, they're basically arguing about this uh, Entrapta thing. Adora's like, we need Entrapta so that we can we can have her defuse the heart of Etheria so that you won't, you know, explode the planet. And Glimmer does make the, the rather salient point of Entrapta's experiments exploded a lot. Like, do you really want her messing with a super weapon? But the bow and Adora are not budging. They're like, we cannot mess with this, Glimmer. You weren't there. Like, you, you did not hear the story, all right? Like, she, this is where Glimmer's like, oh, well, I'll just go 
uh, or it's earlier in the in the uh, meeting where she's like, well, let's just get Light Hope to show us how to use the weapon. And Adora says, no. Yeah, she's the bad guy. She won't. All she wants to do is use the weapon. We can't just ask her how it works because then she she'll want to use it. And also the other thing to bear in mind here, it, it, it's not it's not just like, oh, Entrapta, you know, she needs to dis- diffuse the heart of Etheria. There's a fundamental odds here between how Entrapta is being conceptualized. Bo and Adora are like, we need to save our friend who is trapped on a horrible island and might die, and we need to save her. And Glimmer is like, first off, she's a traitor, not our friend. And second, it's not worth saving one person and losing a war. Yeah, she's basically stopped conceptualizing the Horde as a group of individuals, like they are just a monolith to her at this point. Um, it's just Hordak and Katra, and anyone else doesn't matter. Anyone de- Horde defectors doesn't matter. More or less. Like we're gonna use the we're gonna use the heart of Ethereum, We're going to tank them out, and we're going to make sure that they can't do anything else ever again. That is Glimmer's only goal. She says, like, no, the Horde are the bad guys, not Light Hope. That doesn't make any sense. Light Hope is like not a bad guy. Uh, she's not the one blowing up towns and taking over territory. Yeah, she she is convinced that the Horde is the only thing that matters uh, to deal with. And anyone and anything that gets in the way of that is, at minimum, surplus to requirements and typically an active obstacle and enemy to her. And Entrapta uh, falls into the into these categories. She, she is like, listen, we'll save her eventually but she doesn't actually matter and Bo and Adora just are not they like can't even believe what they're hearing like her their their friend is just like a completely different person to how she was just a few months ago like like glimmer glimmer in season one if you if you if you showed season one glimmer how she's acting right now she'd be horrified yeah like this is a this is you know this is glimmer hitting rock bottom as many characters in this season do um and there is this scene where she's obviously getting nowhere with adora who's the one who's like you weren't there like light hope betrayed every like she betrayed mara she betrayed everyone all she wants to do is is use this weapon um and she goes to Bo and's like you you have to you trust me right like you 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 always trust me and, and Bo has to put his foot down and says no like you're just wrong about this he tells her that she's wrong you know, she's like, why can't you trust me? And he's like, you're wrong. You just aren't correct. And she backs up and she's and she she does a very similar thing to another fun character. Um, she doesn't quite uh, slick her hair back, but she does assume a very cold and calm demeanor. And she starts giving orders. She plays the queen card and she says, you don't have to like anything I decide. But I'm the queen, and I've made a decision. You two are under house arrest until I decide you get to get sent out on a mission. We're doing this, and you don't get a say. And this is this is really the point at which she's kind of hit the point of no return here. She is similar to Catra here, also very similar to Angela, who made all sorts of proclamations like that. Like you, you count all the times she told Glimmer she wasn't going in, whether she was like was under no circumstances to leave the castle yeah like she's the queen now and she's gonna do use that but uh bo and adora aren't interested in listening to that like they know 
that they have to do the right thing here and go save Entrapta. They have to save Entrapta and they have to make and and like and one of the things Endora says is like, you know, because because Bo is not happy about lying to to Glimmer about like ditching and and running out and trying to save Entrapta against her her wishes and Adora's like listen, she's gonna be mad but at least she's gonna be alive to be mad which is like yeah I mean kind of because at this point it's like if they don't do something the whole planet's gonna blow up and then none of this even matters like. This is this is sort of the difference in approach here. Glimmer has like the the blinders on. She's so tunnel visioned on the horde being the like salient and visible threat that she doesn't consider the fact that if the planet blows up, then none of it matters anyway. So Bo left three notes. Um, he's considering leaving a fourth one when they're on this balcony doing their cool stealth thing. And Doris says, "Hey, man, keep it down. All right, we're trying to sneak out here." Um, and then, <laughs> and then Swi- base boosted swift, swift wind and, and screams that makes the loudest noise anyone has ever made. Says, hey, Adora, what's up? I'm ready to go to Beast Island and, and, uh, against Glimmer's wishes. Who's ready to do some, some treason. And they're like trying to shut him up and someone, yeah, it, you know that, you know, when it's like, you know, when it's like, uh, like 3am and you're like, I'm just going to get like one thing from the kitchen. You're like, I'm going to get some ice oh, water or something. Big mistake. And every, every single noise you make is just base boosted by a billion percent. Imagine that kind of feeling. But also a big horse lands behind you, starts clopping around and screams. Like, once again, scene from SpongeBob poll. It's a scene where, where um, SpongeBob is trying to get the box from Patrick. <laughs> I've been. I've had the urge to watch some some classic SpongeBob lately. I don't. I don't know what it is. It's, it's hey. It's a good show. It's good. Regardless, Frosta catches them. Uh, she gets woken up by all this because they're apparently right outside Scorpia's quote unquote cell, um, and like you know they they try to pass it off as a dream, but Frost is just like you know what, just just go. Like I'm not gonna stop you. She's basically like, well, I, I joined, I didn't just join, you know, the rebellion to do a bunch of cool stunts and punch people. I, I joined to, like, protect the people I care about. And, you know, the horde is made of people, and I don't exactly want them all being incinerated. Yeah. And also, she's like, you know, Entrapta was my friend, too. And I think we should, I think saving her is the right thing to do. But you're going to have to go now, because everyone's going to wake up soon, and I can try and cover for you a little bit, but... You, you gotta go. Like, you gotta go. It's like 5.55 a.m. The sun is coming up. It's a, it's a great moment for Frosta. Um, she didn't really get a whole lot this season. It was it was mostly focused on the other princesses. But I, I think the, her character arc is pretty good. Yeah, her, her character this episode is really good. So they fly off and they get to Mara's ship. And they are, they're taking their positions and they're ready to fly. And Adora says... So, like, am I, sp- uh, what do we do? Am I supposed to do something? <laughs> yeah, so the gang attempts to fly a spaceship. Yeah. And it goes about as well as you could imagine. So they spend about, uh, 30 minutes jellifying all of their bones, crashing into trees, splattering birds on the windshield. Bo is just furiously mashing buttons, just trying to get it to do anything, to not crash into the ground, to not fly 500 miles into the into the stratosphere, just, just anything at this point. Swiftwind has been betrayed by loop-de-loops. 
Um, Adora is just completely panicking. Her hair is all messed up. There's some really, really good panicked scream line reads from from Amy Carrera in this scene. Oh, yeah. Also, just some great faces this episode. Like, some really, really good faces. So, Adora accidentally mashes the armrest um, and activates the, like, ship's AI, which is not Light Hope. It's a more rudimentary version of Light Hope. Yeah, like, Light Hope, like the the windows emmy of light hope really um and they're like all right well fly ship uh how to fly ship uh they eventually get it to work <laughs> not ha- not before bo's like can you put us down gently and the ship is like got it reverse <laughs> yeah reverse uh so like swift one is laying dead on the floor bo's bones are all broken and adora is like all right can you fly us to beast island and the ship says, uh, yeah, rerouting to a uh, hazardous materials disposal site and designation Beast Island. So it's it's good that that was apparently what the first ones called it. Yeah, very convenient that it's the same name. I guess like they, whoever, I guess when the Horde found Beast Island, they started dropping people off there. They were like, they just saw a plaque on the ground, like a sign on the edge of the island. Like, hi, this is Beast <laughs> Island. Please don't step here. Yeah, usually... You know, the, the, the original Shira names getting transported to the modern one doesn't really bother me, but why do they call it Beast Island? Well, I guess we'll find out. That's true, that looking at the next episode, it is indeed called Beast Island, but, uh, yeah, I guess, you know. I guess we find out why it's called Beast Island in a, in a, in a grip here, but, uh. They fly off, uh, to rescue Entrapta, and, uh, Glimmer sees this, uh, and, you know, Shadow Weaver is like, well, you can probably still stop them. You, you still have control over the situation. And then Glimmer's like, you know what? No, let them go. If they don't trust me, I don't trust them. I'm going to do what I need to do. Um, and if I have to do it alone, so be it. So, uh, but well, before that, she does go back into Double Trouble Cell and uh, do the truth magic again. And it does work this time. Uh, double Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Double Trouble has some... Has some really good lines so, in this one. Double Trouble reveals their secret acting technique, which is that they can't cry on cue, so they imagine children falling over so that they can uh, get tears of laughter, which no one can tell the difference between. Yay. It's... They're so good, and they're just like, oh. The best part, <laughs> the best part about this is that there were indeed several scenes where Flutterina cried. Yeah, it's really funny, and it's like, God, it's it's a really good scene. And they're just like, oh, oh, I've never told anyone that before. I guess your truth spell worked this time. Uh, I guess it worked. Um, but, you know, they quickly regain composure. I was like, well, okay, uh, back, you know, fine, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Uh, the Horde, you know the Horde? The Horde that you've been fighting? That's baby. Yeah, the Horde doesn't matter. Horde Prime is coming. Horde Prime is going to be here. And if you are not, if you are struggling against Hordak, you are, you will, you will be like a gnat to Horde Prime. Yeah, which, which is true. I mean, the guy does have like a galaxy wide empire. It's a little bit hard to fight something like that when you're like, maybe, maybe a thousand people. Yeah. And so, you know, they're like, uh, so you better get ready for that. And that is what spurs Glimmer to teleport away uh, into the Whispering Woods to the Crystal Castle. Yes, she's she's going to go ask Light Hope how to use the weapon, which uh, 
uh, doesn't seem like a great idea, Glamour. It seems like a really bad idea, actually. No, Light Hope is the good guy. Why? She's called Light Hope. Why would that? Is like she's good. I, yeah, I, I guess. I guess you're right. I don't see your problem. Yeah, she's like the blue team. The blue team's the good team. The Horde is the one with all the black and red, and Light Hope is like Light Hope. So she must be good. So that's where she ends, and you know we, we've covered everyone else here. Uh, we gotta talk about Katra. Oh, Katra. So, Katra spends this entire episode uh, in a state of complete and total mental breakdown. Yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, that that's that's pretty par for the course for season four, but, um, this is different. This is like, this is the, this is the real stuff, though. This is like... We uh we open on her um in her like command center staring at all these screens with surveillance footage on it. So num- point number one, she is hallucinating because she keeps seeing Scorpia in these in these places. You know, just like vines or a weird looking rock formation. It's like, oh, is that Scorpia? No, it's not. And like, she's not looking good. She hasn't clearly hasn't been sleeping. Oh yeah, the bags under the eyes are bigger than they have ever been before. She is haggard the cadet trio come back they're looking really exhausted they've been out on the front lines getting beaten and battered um and they're like all right we, we mission complete you cannot and, and catcher walks out. i was like well, well what are you doing back get back out there we gotta keep we gotta keep the momentum up we gotta keep pounding the body we can't let the rebellion you know gain any ground we're winning and Lonnie's like, we cannot, you, we are, we have been pulling double and triple shifts for like weeks. Everyone is tired and injured. We just need some sleep. And Catcher's like, oh, you're, you're tired. You're tired. Well, what about me, huh? I'm tired too. We're, we're not sleeping until we destroy literally all of the Alliance, all of it, the whole thing. No sleeping. Get out there. And it's like, Catcher, that's not it. It's not how this works. Yeah, so that's the first scene. And, you know, she's got the lines under her eyes. Um, and then we cut back to her. And they're huge dark circles now. So, assumingly, it's been about a day. Yeah. She's still staring at those screens. And she hears Scorpia laugh uh, in the distance. What she thinks is Scorpia. You know, still hallucinating. Uh, and then she realizes it's some cadets, you know, hanging out outside, laughing about something. Yeah, and so she 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 grabs Lonnie by like the the, the scruff of the neck and just throws her in the screen room. And is like, hey, tell me right now, what were they laughing at? What are they laughing at? Who's laughing at me? Huh? Who's laughing at me? She's like, and she's like, whoa, 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 lady, yeah, just, nobody's laughing at you. Everyone is just tired. Like, you know, it's hard. She Catra is wildly paranoid she is she is just having a full-on breakdown in front of lonnie um she admits scorpia is gone which lonnie is is very shocked by yeah it's like she's not good she's not in a good place right now no she's not there's there's like there's like a bit where um like as she's she's breaking down uh like mid conversation with lonnie and lonnie kind of like looks concerned she's like oh god like are you okay and like she looks like she's gonna reach out and like try and say something to katra like like anything and then katra does does the thing she does and she like assumes the demeanor and she starts laughing and she's like oh why don't you just leave 
like everyone else has go get out of here and then that like concern turns to just fear because this girl's not stable at all so Lonnie's like okay I'm I'm out of here bye okay see you yeah she sends the cadets out on a quadruple shift and pulls out her data pad that she uses to keep in contact with double trouble and it's just like madly mashing it's like where are where are you double trouble I need I need like to hear from you anything anything cracks it she's like clutching it so hard that she cracks the the data pad yeah like her her assumption of the of the cold and calculated leader demeanor lasts for maybe the shortest time it ever has because like the second Lonnie is out of frame and she grabs that data pad tears are streaming down her face she is she is not able to keep this this under wraps anymore the the soda factory is is exploding these bottles uh cannot hold anymore so you know we we, we get that uh the third scene with katra uh she's getting a report from hordak who's like we it is going great out here i my kd ratio is off the charts this cannon is great just keep doing what we're doing we'll win in no time all right katra's like you got it boss she's she looks even more exhausted and you know she's like uh oddly calm despite how tired she is and then we kind of zoom out uh and she has destroyed uh every screen except for one she uh she hangs up on hordak uh steps back takes her like mask off Ooh. um in more ways than one because she just lets it drop to the floor and just completely breaks down and sobs yeah so so this scene a lot of stuff happens in this scene. So, first off, the entire base is basically dark, with the exception of the the screen Hordak was on. Um, and when it extinguishes, like everything is is dark and quiet. The the what I take away from that is uh, that when Catra was like, "Just leave," like everyone else has, she sent off the cadets. Her soldiers are gone. She they're not in this base anymore. this is she is collapsing the horde it is it is falling apart all of these soldiers who have been worked into the dirt have left and it is her lying to hordak that everything is still going fine uh when everything is is collapsing in on itself and and this is this is a big part of why she she breaks down the mask comes off after she continue she she tries to keep the facade up and she just can't anymore and it comes off and she re- she just she can't handle it anymore it, everything just kind of comes out she's more alone than she's ever been in her whole life this we haven't seen her break down like this since like episode three uh when she tore the bed up this this is worse than that like it is much you get the feeling that this is much more extended uh, like that was a brief burst of emotion, which was quickly interrupted by Shadow Weaver. Like she's alone in this base, just probably crying for like hours. It's not good. This whole sequence brings to mind. You know, we 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 like to sort of pit this show against some of its contemporaries and influences uh, to see what it does better and what it does worse. All of this brings to mind Azula's arc in uh, Book Three of Avatar, mm-hmm. where she is also losing it. But th- I think there's one key difference between those two uh, scenes, right? Because they they have very similar thematics, 
uh, of, of someone, you know, finally taking power and, and winning and finding no joy in it. The camera offers Catra way more sympathy than it does to Azula. Yeah, like, uh, one of the things is that, of course, famously and also somewhat infamously, the direction they decided to take for Azula in, in Avatar was to not uh, redeem her character. So they... Uh, th- there there was original intent there that they didn't follow through on for one reason or another. And uh, because of that, a lot of those those later scenes are not very sympathetic to her. They are they are really more designed to make her feel like, you know, she's she's off her gourd, you know, she's 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 crazy or, or whatever. Like I think you were supposed to feel pity, but not sympathy. Yeah, that was kind of the, that's sort of the directorial intent there, which is, I think, less than great. I think, like, there was definitely a lot of room to do more with Azula's character. And, you know, from what I understand, they do in the comics, but that's not really part of the text of the show. That's extra stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. And um, and then ultimately, like, with, with She-Ra here, you know, Katra is, like, a pretty similar character in a lot of ways. Um, and, of course, the show is partially predicated on the fact that she is going to be redeemed and like that lends itself to like different kinds of directorial intent with these scenes with the way the camera behaves with the way uh that she's framed and it ends up having a much different emotional impact you feel a lot more sympathy for her character you feel a lot more I think more pity generally than than even Azula was really intended to get and I think also like it's it's her hitting rock bottom but in a way that she she's been torn down to the studs here and that leaves room for her to be built back up again whereas I think with Azula it wasn't it was less like being torn down to the bone uh of the of the structure and more just burning the whole thing to ashes which is not really it's it's not the same thing it's 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 a very different way of having like a total crash of of your of your sense of self for like a character yeah this isn't even the end of Catra's arc right there's three more episodes to this season oh yes and if you think this is as low as she can sink incorrect no, yeah, we've 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 got quite a lot to talk about. Um, uh, the next the next couple of episodes specifically, like um, once again, we're going to be like kind of eschewing like a like a more concrete spoiler zone because the main things that we really want to talk about right now are like Glimmer and Catra, but I think we want to save that for when uh, we really get into. Uh, honestly into the last two episodes of the season because that's when that's when stuff really 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 goes down and we start to like be able to to kind of pick apart the these characters in a way that's that that's a little bit more thorough like yeah. more fleshed out this is the word the, the the completion of their arcs is only three episodes away at least for this season um they're their arcs in this season so yeah we're not really going to be talking about a lot of that stuff in the spoiler zone you, the structure of this season makes it really hard and i don't think we really want to get into too much season five stuff yet either no exactly exactly because see, season five stuff you know season five stuff is like so it's so meaty and it's also like 
we want to we want to really be able to to dig into that stuff as it happens um especially because once we start getting into season five stuff like everything ties ties into each uh, into itself so then we probably have to start uh breaking open the vault a little bit and we don't want to do that just yet and you know that reminds me i saw the tweet about the uh, the heart part two being um nominated for something oh was it I was like, well that's weird why did they nominate uh it was like some award uh, i don't remember which award like a, a big animation award or uh, like outstanding children's tv um, hilda got nominated a few other uh that the clone wars finale got nominated and so it's like well that's weird why are they uh you know nominating a, a, a episode from 2019 and then i remembered Season 5 happened last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. And I was like, oh, Lord. I hate time. Time is so scary. But, you know, we got a few things to talk about in the spoiler zone, but we've also got a lot of questions. Oh, yes. We have got just a lot of questions. And I think I'm going to start with an email that was supposed to be in our Boys on episode, but we, I, well, I say we know, I'm not going to say we, I forgot about it. Um, Tobu, uh, you know, patron of the show, has uh, something to point out uh, about Angela's last words. So, when you cover the portal, you touch on Angela's final conversation with Adora. Honestly, I have a lot of thoughts about Angela. Stay tuned for the big Angela essay, hopefully in time for the big seasonal wrap-up. We would like that. But there's something about the way Adore herself remembers that moment that I think says a lot about her character and factors heavily into her behavior for the rest of season four. During the coronation episode, Adora tells Glimmer about her mother's last words to her. She said she promised Angela that she would take care of Glimmer. But that's not what Angela asked Adora to do. What Angela actually said was, and I quote, take care of each other. Yeah, that's, I, I think about that a lot, actually. It's like, take take care of each other being interpreted in Adora's mind as her taking care of Glimmer, and Glimmer not having the same onus to take care of her is like, again, this is like a really important like look into adora's like self-perception right it's this like it's her responsibility to be the one to take care of other people you know no one should have to take care of her you know she is the one who should have that responsibility not anybody else you know she doesn't want to to put a burden on people that she feels need help you know that that she that she knows that she needs to be the one to to provide help to it's conceptualizing herself as someone who needs to be taken care of is just antithetical to her entire like self-identity and not even in a like hero complex way not not in like the sense that she's like trying to be a savior but more in the sense that she just doesn't like she's the atlas she has to hold the world up you know that's her job that's her destiny that's the way that things are supposed to be nobody nobody holds up atlas he's just sitting there in space you know he's supposed to be strong enough on his own and that's sort of how she conceptualizes herself she doesn't think her problems need to be dealt with or taken care of because she doesn't have any she can't have any uh, even though she clearly has problems oh boy does she have problems she has to she's she she has to save the world and that's what she's gonna do she can't 
worry about any of that but yeah that you are uh thank you for that tobu sorry about missing that out but it is very important to adora's character and the uh the arc that she and glimmer have in season four. Oh yes big time so let's knock over to the curious cat um we got <laughs> a lot of questions boy howdy do we have a lot of questions this week technically only 12 because as i said we're saving these these big double trouble uh thoughts for this episode because they're in it so let's start with a tie into our conversation about pies last episode anonymous curious cat user says do hot pockets count as an american savory pie yes they do they are basically just a turnover but with pizza filling or ham and cheese or whatever other inferior hot pocket flavor uh but yes it is it is a pie 100 percent. you got it very american as well so you know yeah hot pockets american savory pies we found two chicken pot pies hot pockets there we go we we got we got it covered uh another anonymous curious cat user i like to call season four the one where catcher and glimmer have a dig your own grave contest who do you think wins that contest oof hard to say at this point they both they're both digging very quickly yeah they're they're both extremely digging quickly like this this is like it it is hard to say i feel like i feel like it's almost a tie right i feel like they both kind of they kind of dig their own graves toward the uh the center of of the earth of etheria if you will uh yeah no i think i think they're they're probably it's probably a photo finish we'll have to we'll have to get the uh the referees to to take a take some looks at this one one just came in while we were recording oh what's the what's the new one so anonymous curious cat user 45 minutes ago says do you think that maybe the coronation episode was so bad because they were trying to make us feel as uncomfortable as glimmer was and the show barely acknowledges angela's death maybe it's supposed to represent how glimmer has no time to grieve Mm. see that's that's you know that's a good read I think the episode might have just been bad. Yeah, like that's that's it's a good it's a good read of like trying to like trying to work with the material as it exists, but I think that was the intent. Like I said, the intent was for everyone to be annoying and and you know, not very respectful. That means everyone comes off as being really annoying. Yeah, they just like I I understand like the intent just but it didn't it didn't work i it just didn't work that was the thing i think there was definitely a way to do that like we said in that in that episode and they just completely whiffed it hard yeah yeah it is probably still like you know the the bottom episode of this entire show We'll, we'll see but i doubt anything else will will top it um let's see what else we got here anonymous curious cat user what does lonnie think about catra after catra's breakdown about abandonment issues does catra think double trouble has abandoned her in this episode uh well yeah so catra definitely thinks double trouble has abandoned her that's like the the little like data pad scene right you know she's like oh everyone's already everyone's left me and then she looks to the to the data pad and she's crying out for for double trouble to answer and they don't so yeah no she definitely definitely feels like she's been abandoned uh by them as well that's for what lonnie thinks uh we talked a little bit about it but like it's lonnie and catra it's kind of a weird past right because technically they grew up together and technically i guess you consider them friends but like 
it's been contentious, to say the least. Uh, increasingly so since Adora left. Yeah. And like, but, you know, it's pretty clear that Lonnie is still concerned about Katra. Like, the girl is showing symptoms. Um, she got a big neon sign uh, with many arrows pointing down on her. That says problems. Yeah. And Lonnie, you know, anyone can see that, but especially Lonnie. And like, Lonnie and the cadets, you know, they always had each other. They never really had to deal with any of that. Katra never had anyone uh, because she never allowed herself to have anyone. She never allowed herself to get, you know, make friends with them. So it's it's kind of this situation where, yeah, I think Lonnie would want to try and reach out, but Catra's instinct, whenever anyone tries to do that, is to just shove them away, is to the claws come out. Yeah, that's that's really an unfortunate thing. Like, I genuinely think Lonnie in that scene, like, and, and you can see it in her eyes, I feel like the, again, the show does a really good job at, like, the facial performances of the characters. Like, I, I would say, you know... When it comes to the animation quality of the show, I think, like, the thing that really impresses me the most is how much, like, subtle performance that they manage to get out of the models that they've designed. Like, uh, they're very, they're they're generally pretty simple designs, um, and the face shapes are also quite simple, but, like, they really can pull a lot of emotion out of these characters. And you get this, this really good look on Lonnie in the scene where she has this, like, this transition from resentment and bitterness to this genuine like concern and then from that to like this abject fear of somebody who she is afraid is going to hurt her and like you know just it's like the the performance is really good i think definitely lonnie after that uh they hightailed it out of there they left and yeah, Lonnie probably, uh, Lonnie's probably like, okay, I'm not gonna touch that one. I- I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave. I'm just gonna go t- see you later. Yeah, importantly, they have not left the horde. They just left the base. Because, uh, yes. spoilers, well, minor spoilers, they are in the next episode, I believe. Uh, either that or, per- or Destiny Part 1. So, what else we got here? Uh, here's an interesting one from, yet again, Anonymous Curious Catcher user. How old is the Horde, and how do they acquire soldiers? There don't seem to be any families uh, to have kids, but there seem to be quite a lot of soldiers. Where are they getting all of these indoctrinated people from? That is an excellent question. So, um, the Horde, we do know how old the Horde is roughly. It's like, the Horde was, like, it fell out of the sky and, and formed around the Scorpion Kingdom um, during the reign of Scorpia's grandfather. So it's been a few decades, uh, but it hasn't been like hundreds of years. Like the Horde is a fairly recent development. It's been probably, if I had to ballpark it, doing some like quick math, like 25 to 30 years, probably. Maybe a little bit less. Because it's, it, uh, you know, the first Princess Alliance. So the Horde was like you know, a problem kind of on the horizon uh, in Lightspinner. Um, and of course, we don't really know how old Shadow Weaver is at all. Like, it's it's impossible to tell. She's an elf slash magical parasite, so, like, who knows? But Micah was about, like, 13 in that episode, and he was, you know, well, let's see. So, like, he was in, that, in the dream sequence in the portal 
where he would have still been alive. He's like 30, 40. So yeah, like 25 years. He seemed like in his, he looked like he was in his 40s. The other thing to bear in mind is that um, after the events of Light Spinner, like, we don't know how much time there was between the events of Light Spinner and when Adora came through the portal, but Adora, we have a pretty decent idea that her age is somewhere between like 19 and 21 at this point. So that being the case, I feel like probably the Horde showed up maybe maybe within within 10 years before that, I imagine. So probably around 30 years, a little longer than 30 years. It is a very recent development. Um, as for the question of how they acquire soldiers, it does seem to just be war orphans uh, pretty exclusively. And maybe a few of the older... Uh, members like we do see people joining them of their own volition like we see shadow weaver join them uh we can assume that other people joined up with them because they saw the way the wind was blowing yeah but most of these cadets seem pretty young yeah a lot it seems to be like opportunists like mercenaries those kind of types joined up with them or if like their town has been occupied probably they've been conscripted but generally speaking the cadet program seems to mostly just be war orphans who are being indoctrinated from birth functionally to be horde soldiers so so yeah it seems like the method of acquiring soldiers is very much like kind of the the roman empire model of just taking everything over and press gang everyone into the army and just sort of assuming that's going to be fine um, and not really worrying about the concept of like running out of warm bodies to throw at things um, spoilers for history that doesn't work out really well or like moving your capital halfway across the world uh, or splitting like sort of your capital into four different capitals um, you know you know several plagues uh is fine um yeah I, that's where they come from probably um ooh, here's a juicy one what was adora thinking when scorpia mentioned catra the uh, the scene where shadow weaver sees or where scorpia sees shadow weaver for the first time oh that's a good question actually can you can you pull up the scene i wonder if there's like a um if we get an adora shot in that i don't know if there was a shot reverse shot for that we do we do indeed so i'm just we do indeed okay so she like yeah so she like is surprised at the mention of katra and she like thinks for a second her eyes kind of dart to the side and and then narrow it's like it, it seems like her thoughts are like surprise that katra is doing so poorly and then sort of like an anger probably like like a feeling of resentment at katra before like refocusing on the issue at hand I think Adora's still got quite a lot of um, what you might call conflicted feelings uh, about our feline friend here. She and Shadow Weaver also share a glance in that, which is interesting. So, yeah. A lot of conflicted feelings in Adora's head on uh, on that one. Yeah, also this... <laughs> this specific scene glimmers face is just like is just staring off into the distance true neutral yeah so all right 
Uh, so we got one here from uh, someone uh, just just reminding us that someone on the on the on the uh, crew did indeed draw um, or, or Noel said what Scorpio's note from Boyzan Out said, and it, it it seems like it just you know it seems like it just said sorry, which that's that's something all right. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. So, let's see. Um, yeah, so I, I assume this is from the person who was asking about the relationship between She-Ra and the Heart of Etheria last episode. I don't think you'll answer this part of the question, but maybe I missed it. Why is She-Ra always a first one instead of an Etherian, since She-Ra is actually part of Etheria? Well, you say always. We've only seen two. Yeah, we've only ever seen two She-Ra's and... It seems to me that the actual, like, planet choosing She-Ra isn't, like... This isn't, like, an Avatar situation where, like, you know, one of them dies and then, you know, the next person in the cycle sort of gets, you know, reincarnated or whatever. It seems to be more like um, the planet makes a choice when it feels that it's found the proper candidate. Um, Something else to think about as well is... The planet is very weak. The The magic of the planet is an extremely weakened state because, of course, for a thousand years, it's been getting siphoned off. So that probably has something to do with why there hasn't been like an interim Shira either. It, it's, it's not really explained how the mechanics of the planet choosing a Shira works, but I would assume that Etheria's kind of got like a kind of like a living planet thing going on a little bit for sure like a Shira doesn't seem to be you know Shira is tied to people and like inhabits people but is, is she is like a separate thing um and and seemingly right now the only real way to access that conduit is through the sort of protection because the magic is so weak so that you have you basically have you know you got to have a direct line um Let's see. Uh, we got a couple more. Uh, how much of Catra's downward spiral do you think is down to heartbreak? And she even realized it was heartbreak. A lot. A and lot also, I don't know that she realized it. Um, because not. she spends too much time trying to not realize as many things as possible. Maybe this is where she starts to realize it. Because this is where she she says, if, if everything was alright, Scorpio wouldn't be gone. So, you know... Admit, admitting some things, uh, you know, having having you know crying fits in your surveillance cube, uh, really having a normal one uh, this this episode. Just having the most normal one she can, yeah. I mean, like again, the thing is with Katra is she's just like her ultimate pastime is um, is not thinking about things, and I don't know that she's even now really realized. Uh, what she's necessarily even feeling but uh but we will get there we'll get there uh do you want to hit these double trouble curious cats uh yeah let's go for it uh so we got three in a row actually from uh nixconia here and i'm gonna go i guess we'll go we'll go in order uh so why do you think double trouble needs so much money for for other than like food and water they can shape shift so they don't need clothes I can't see Double Trouble living in the valley. They're more of a sort of hideaway person, so they wouldn't need it for rent. 
um, as if there was such thing as rent in the Crimson Waste. So why do they uh, need the money? I feel like paying rent in the Crimson Waste is just being tough enough to beat anybody up. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just like, I feel like the Crimson Waste, like the Valley of the Lost is like, you just walk into somebody's house and squat there. And when they come home, you beat them up until they leave. <laughs> Whoever has bigger muscles uh, gets, gets to keep the place. <laughs> just... <laughs> There's like a crab that does that. <laughs> oh my god! Is there like is it what? What do they do? They like steal hermit crab shells. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Like they like like there's like a like one of the hermit crab style crabs is like in like a like a conch cell or something, and like the other crab comes over and is like, "Get out! I'm gonna live there now." <laughs> wow. All right, sure. But yeah, either either uh, double trouble is in debt with someone, uh, or maybe they're saving up for something, or maybe they're providing for someone, or they're just sort of hoarding it. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, Those are all pretty good ideas because you know they do make good points. Double trouble seeming seemingly can get whatever they want due to their abilities. So the money thing is kind of odd. Like more than the money thing honestly it seems like they just love the craft of it they love causing chaos and showing off their acting abilities yeah i think that like they want the money probably primarily just for like luxuries yes like stuff you know the fi- the finer things in life but but yes more more than that they're definitely in it for the love of the game yeah i cannot see them providing for anyone they're an extremely like a lone wolf I feel like it would be impossible to be in debt to someone if you were a shapeshifter. How would they ever find you? Yeah, you, yeah, you could just lay low and no one would ever know. So probably the closest answer here is hoarding it, like just having it for fun. Yeah, probably, probably. I, it's they have like a Scrooge McDuckian vault somewhere that they just kind of swim around in. I can see that in them in my mind's eye. Uh, Double Trouble taking a big dive into some doubloons. <laughs> <laughs> it is pre- it is uh it is a pretty double trouble thing to do um the second thing from uh nick's Coney here is did you know that glimmer and double trouble were actually cousins in the original she-ra what if they're still cousins in the reboot and how do you think that would play out that is a very funny detail of the original double trouble like i don't know if it would be possible then again they never say that this reptile form is like, oh, this is my quote-unquote real form. It's like, oh, this is the one where I'm most comfortable in. I don't know. Angela's an angel. No one knows what that means. No one knows what that could possibly mean. Uh... <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I'm the, I'm the daughter of the world's most powerful sorcerer and an angelic being. And I'm like, hey, what does that second, what does the second part mean? What does that entail? Yeah, what does that mean, huh? How is Castispella related? What does that mean? Uh, well, Castispella is related because she's, uh, she's Micah's sister. Oh, that's right. Sister-in-law. Yeah, so. She's aunt. Uh, we never see any other angels. Like, literally, it could be possible because everything is weird. Everything is weird. Uh, I do, I do like the like little scenario though, where where Nixconi is like, I can imagine Double Trouble just casually calling Castispell a mom, and everyone's freaking out, and Castispell's just like, oh, you never asked. Nobody asked. I mean, nobody asks about me. I'm just Aunt Castispell, and no one cares about me. God, that's what she would say. Ah, uh, all right. Um, and then uh, the last one here. This one's this was actually a little bit long. So this one is uh, sort of a headcanon of theirs. Uh, which is they believe that uh, Double Trouble is autistic, and here's why. 
Um, one, they uh, constantly are sort of hyperfixating about the theater. Uh, two, masking is when a neurodiverse person suppresses their neurodiverse traits in order to blend in with neurodivergent people. Uh, I, assume that means, I assume they mean uh, neurotypical. Yeah, neurotypical people. And they're a great actor, so they could easily mask their artistic traits, uh, which would explain why their autism wouldn't be so obvious as, as compared to Entrapta. I think we can hit a few of these points already. So it is true that uh, Double Trouble loves to talk about the theater. They love to talk about acting. Um, Entrapta is, you know, they did say textually it was their intent with the character, and she does show a lot of those traits. Yeah, I think like I can, I can see, I can see the read because like, yeah, they they share, they do share a lot of like the same like general traits uh, as as Entrapta here, where it's like. Uh, they have a lot of like specific sort of hyperfixations. Non-binary uh, says you know neurodiverse people are more likely to be trans because of different understanding of gender, which I guess is true. I, I know a lot of autistic uh, trans and non-binary people, myself included. Um, and you know the, the, they end with you know, do you think double triple could be autistic or am I just self-projecting because I love them so much? It doesn't matter. Head cannons are great, is the thing. And I think this one could easily be true. Yeah, I I could totally see this. It's like there's 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 definitely plenty to go off of here. So yes, headcanon, uh, you know, self projection. Don't let anyone tell you it's too it's wrong unless you're doing it too much. Don't be calling gotcha characters comfort characters. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> God, that leads down to a dangerous road. Don't do it. Ugh. I don't care how sexy that pirate lady is. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, that brings us to the end of our rather meaty main episode here. So, uh, before we head over to our mini spoiler zone, we got plugs, you know, Twitter, uh, at Podcast to Power. Got our link to our curious cat there. Uh, we got Gmail, uh, at Pod of Power at gmail.com. Our email episode is fast approaching. I need to continue compiling those into a doc. It's already a very long doc. Oh yes, we've we've got we've got such a like we've got so many. It's gonna be that's gonna be a long, long, long episode. But uh, but definitely looking forward to that. That makes sense. Season four, a lot of things happen in season four, and uh, so we've also got a Patreon. You know, uh, Patreon.com/slash/PodOfPower. We have so much on offer there. Uh, at the just for for a mere three dollars a month you can become a force captain tier patron and gain access to the following our two uh side patreon shows where we watch the owl house and kipo and the age of wonder beasts um we are about halfway through kipo season two and we are almost caught up on the owl house and you may be wondering well what are your plans for the future don't worry we have it figured out you'll learn soon oh yes we've we've got plans uh for that so so keep an eye out keep an eye out uh we also have uh we have other things as well we have uh sheriffs where we talk about a uh funny episode of the original uh 1980s uh she-ra let's be let's be real all of them are pretty funny because they're they're truly horrendous oh yes we will we will definitely have one of those up soon i think uh march has begun so we gotta get our sheriff up Maybe I can find a St. Patrick's Day themed one. I wonder if there's any leprechauns in the original Shira. Oh lord, I've I bet they've got one. They they had like that show probably had an Arbor Day episode. Oh man, <laughs> excellent. 
we also do uh, She-Ra mini-sodes of sort of ancillary content. We took a quiz that Noel Stevenson made before the show got started. We read Legend of the Fire Princess. We've got plans for future stuff. We're going to be reading through that annotated uh, Save the Cat script. We're going to be we're going to try to get our hands on Noel Stevenson's illustrated memoir. Uh, we got that fan fiction uh, that Noel Stevenson wrote. Uh, the maybe we'll do an episode on like the the webisodes that accompanied season one. Like we got a lot to do before the show wraps up. Oh yes, and we'll be we'll be going through that uh, as time goes on. Uh, but in addition to all of that wonderful content that you can get for being a Force Captain patron, you also get shoutouts in every episode. That's right. And so thank you so much to our Force Captain patrons. Emma Lynn, Ashley Erskine, Autumn Keys, Anelia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gertsch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, thank you for the pie recipe, Olivia, Brittany, uh, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, and Robert Harris. Thank you. Thank you so much for your continued support. It means the world to us. Um, and I believe you have a couple of other plugs as well. That is correct. I am on another podcast. If you want to hear me talk about stuff, I am can be found at Disney Minus Pod on Twitter. It's a show where we watch stuff that is on Disney Plus and talk about it. Um, obviously, with the uh, understanding and philosophy that disney sucks oh yes this uh you know when this episode goes up the next episode that should be going up is us talking about bambi the animated classic bambi a movie that is about 60 percent frolicking by volume that it is uh it's got it's um i'm looking forward to listening to that one it's not an especially amazing movie but i think it's got some interesting like tech in it that that really that really makes it like kind of interesting watch yeah very pretty very very pretty movie it's just it's a lot of frolicking um so we'll have that up um and uh yeah you, you want to hear me talk about stuff you can uh, with with some some buddies over at disney minus you can listen in over there uh you know i've been on i've talked about treasure planet beverly hills chihuahua that wretched artemis fowl movie the real the real classic stuff here the the citizen kane of disney films uh, artemis fowl is but uh, we are going to uh, sort of transition here over to a very tiny mini spoiler zone uh, for the last few of these questions here. You know, if you're if you're not if you're not going to be joining us there, of course, see you next week. Uh, for those of you who are, we'll see you on the other side of this very small gap. Yes. got three questions so let me do the shortest one first you know all three of these are from anonymous curious cat users are all of the princesses more powerful after the heart of etheria is destroyed and its magic is freed probably like well mm. yeah see like that's the thing as i think like if it's hard to say so the the way that 
it seems to me is that the like the runestone network is what the princesses are drawing from and that is the thing that is getting like most of the magic sort of siphoned through and sent down into the core of the planet um so i'm imagining that i i I feel like probably just before the heart activates is probably when like just when the heart activates and before it starts really sucking all of the life out of them is like when they're at their absolute peak power i i think after the heart of etheria is destroyed and all of that magic kind of floods back into the world they are like left at the same level of power they probably were at prior but everybody else has sort of been brought up a notch because the magic of the world has come back like your ordinary wizard is probably going to be on a much more equal playing field to a runestone having princess after the heart of etheria is gone so like by comparison i would say that they are weaker but like probably not like literally weaker yeah, that's that seems to make sense. Like uh, the the runestone system was was kind of cannibalized by the first ones, but with magic being so freed, like I think everyone's just stronger who uses magic, but just not the supercharged version, the like horrible um, weapon of war that the first ones wanted to turn the princesses into. Yeah, exactly. So got the next one here. This one is about uh, something that happens in Save the Cat. Uh, and just like a, a quick uh, hit there. How is Glimmer able to open the door to Horde Prime's creepy collection room in Save the Cat? They seem to only be able to be opened by clones, as Bowen and Trapta used wrong Hordak for. But when the clones are after them, Glimmer needs a place to hide and rushes in there, able to open the door with her own hand. Uh, uh, I, I, you know what? I have, I have uh, an explanation for this one. Mm-hmm. It's complete nonsense. It's a, it's a stretch, but I have one. Mm-hmm. So that's Horde Prime's trophy room, right? Clearly, that's the one he wants to show off to anyone who's on his stupid ship. So maybe that's the one that doesn't have any restrictions, because he wants to anyone can go in there and look at all this cool stuff. God, just like, just this is the ego-boosting room. Go in there and cower in despair at how cool I am. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also imagine, like, um, in Save the Cat, prior to the point where Glimmer is like definitely like a capital e enemy of horde prime i feel like she has probably been given like limited access to certain portions of the ship like wait 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 you don't think he took that away after she got uh jailbroken oh is that yeah i guess that is after she got jailbroken that was, that was two episodes before save the right Cat okay is, uh, is the rescue so like he definitely he definitely revoked the admin privileges uh after that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I guess I guess yeah, probably like that's he didn't update the the privileges for that room. The real reason is they wanted a, a cool thematically important scene for Car- Glimmer's character and to move the plot along and you know, get a fudge some stuff. It's fine. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you just got to fudge it a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. So this last one is a bit meatier. Why don't you take take this last question? Right. So the last question um, from another anonymous Curious Catcher user. Do you find rewatching She-Ra bittersweet? The show builds up Catcher Door for so long until that pivotal kiss that saves the world. 
But for the first four seasons, Catra is a mess. I find it upsetting to watch all of the terrible things that she does to herself and the people around her and the planet. We're watching a broken, abused, and abandoned person losing their sanity more and more. A person we know in season five becomes better, but watching her struggle is kind of uncomfortable. I want more Shira content so we can see Katra actually being happy with, you know, her girlfriend and the rest of the best friend squad. And I can I can understand this, right? Like the story of Katra is largely a tragedy, right? Like she's someone who was kind of indoctrinated as a child into um, someone else's war machine. And as a child, she was treated in such a way as that she kind of became the person that ultimately culminates into where she is in, in season four, right? Like she becomes this kind of monstrous person through the like application of uh, neglect and abuse and you know indoctrination for her whole life and she's given a lot of chances to change as a person but you know she keeps choosing the wrong thing as a product of just like how she's sort of dealt with a lot of the the things that have come through her life and it it can it can be pretty uncomfortable to watch but i i think that the the arc that she takes has like I think that there's there's purpose to it being uncomfortable. Like we were actually we were we were talking a little bit like pre-show uh, about like some other stuff, uh, you know, Final Fantasy fourteen related actually. But uh, and we're not going to get into that. But like there's there's a difference between like media that chooses I think to treat a character poorly. And have them go through a lot of hardship and and un- genuinely uncomfortable like stuff to watch like like real stuff. Um, there's a difference between that being applied in a gratuitous way and in sort of a voyeuristic way, where it's kind of like nudging you in the in the ribs a little bit, like you know, ah, oh, how how fucked up is this, huh? Versus like applying it in a way that treats it with respect. And I think that for as as much as Catra's arc can toe the line sometimes, I think largely it is done with a lot of respect. And I think that Catra is a character who is given the space to explore these ideas, these sort of mental states uh, that she that she sort of represents and it's and she she's a character that gets to explore that in a way that feels like it's being treated seriously and not just like a tool for drama and I think I think that's good like it's uncomfortable to sit through but in a way that I think works in a way that I think is more helpful than it isn't uh, that said I do really want to see some more content with her being happy too. This is what I I want a road trip movie. This is all I want out of out of the the alleged uh, possible Shira movie. Like oh for sure. I don't need like Horde Prime two or any big world saving thing. I just want it to be a road trip movie and maybe like there's some you know 
new relationships they've been everyone's been through a lot maybe there's a few r- bumpy bits but ultimately it's like oh it's, it's everyone adjusting to this it's everyone having a blast and like doing cool stuff in their cool spaceship yeah that that would be cool as hell i would i would love that i i hope that is the direction it ends up taking if it if it does end up existing at some point well i mean uh disney shut down the studio that was making them a nimona movie so you know i guess there's more time for a shira movie oh god i forgot about that thanks disney thanks disney 10 months left that's like no time for an animated movie they were almost done oh my god yeah that's like how much material is being left on the cutting room floor like that's like the whole everything like the whole movie is probably like mostly done yeah uh, it's pretty much mostly done the crew had a screening of oh it oh my god earlier this like a couple of weeks ago somebody's gotta leak that shit come on come on leak it please leak the. Leak i, the I need to see like i don't even care if half of it's like animatics like just throw it, throw together like a like a thief and the cobbler, like recobbled cut. I don't mind if you put the pencil drawings in there. Just just leak it, please. Yeah, that 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 Blue Sky Studio situation, man, it sucks a lot. It's so bad. It's the state of animation is just an absolute crisis. Like I, this is so off topic, but like we were, we were I was I was talking with um with another friend of ours like the other night about it. It's just like animation is in such an awful place right now everywhere really it's like it's just like every production company is out here trying to squeeze every dollar they can they're running all of their employees into the ground it's you know they're trying to they're trying to squeeze every dollar they can out of it they're they're and the way they're doing that half the time is just underpaying people in in you know their local talent as much as they can until they all leave or you know move on and then you know and then they break down all of their their studios and they just ship everything off to like south korea and they're like paying people pennies on the dollar to do like genuinely really hard work and working long hours without uh, it's just the industry is in is in utter shambles western animation is pretty much now with the closure of the only big east coast studio if you're not in california you're screwed yeah, if you're not in California, and even then, it's like you don't have that many options. Like, God, I remember when I was in college, it's like you know, I I you know I went to animation school, but I didn't go to Cal Arts and I didn't go to to RISD, so basically my options were non-existent. Like, you don't go to Cal Arts or RISD, like good fucking luck, bud. Like your credentials mean nothing. And even then, if you do, a you've got two billion dollars worth of student debt. Like, good luck with that. And b you have to compete for like maybe maybe a dozen maybe two dozen like internship positions that exist for you to take in any of the studios that would pay you reasonably well and if you don't do that well then your options are like uh you know those those little like cubicle basically animation sweatshop places where you're just doing like commercial animation doing like like technical animating for like companies and presentations and that's just so soulless making grubhub ads god yeah like god i could be doing that right now and making grubhub ads oh lord like i guess i'd be getting paid but at what cost at what cost yeah animation is like many industries uh just on fire it's just on fire and it's it's and disney is the like comically fat cat sitting on top of it lighting a cigar with it yeah that's what's the that's what the situation is it's 
they they are the Joker, and they are on the pile of money right now. It's yeah. This this ended a little bit more downer than I intended to, but hey, it's season four. That's season four. That's about how it goes. So uh, yeah, next week, Beast Island. Uh, Return of Entrapped, the Return of Micah. That's a great episode. Oh yes, that's that's gonna be a really really fun one. So uh, so look forward to that. Swamp of Sadness scene. Oh, the good good old Swamp of Depression. But uh, until then, I have been one of your hosts, Nero, and I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.